in New Orleans. They call the rising sun. Welcome to the show, BG and Randy here for uh, episode 121, boys, but more importantly, going into week eight in the NFL. Vikings win the bye, only one arrest, BG, for your league-leading Minnesota Vikings in arrest since 2000. Fortunately, it was Ali Udo, reserve offensive lineman. He played guard for the Vikings a lot last season. He had a lot of penalties. He got called for one down in Miami. A misdemeanor, I believe, was the charge for Ali Udo. Uh, but the Vikings win the bye. BG Packers lose. Lions lose. Bears somehow come back uh, and beat New England last night. Uh, but all said and done, the Vikings, I think, win the bye. We're up now three games in the NFC North. And there's plenty to talk about about the Packers uh, losing to the Commies in D.C. 23-21. to But BG, do you have a good bye week? Yeah, it was awesome. On top of seeing the Packers lose and lose to a pretty horrible team, it was great uh, weather outside. So Mm -hmm. it's not like we had to be in watching the Vikings game and could actually enjoy the outdoor weather up in Minnesota's 70s this past weekend, um, which is very, very rare for us, as many Minnesota listeners know at this time of year. So um, I'm not saying that I didn't watch a lot of football on Sunday, but it was nice uh, to be outside and enjoy the weekend without worrying and getting stressed about the Vikings game like we do just about every week. So ready to get back at it. It wasn't the same without Vikings on Sunday, so uh, I'm ready to get into NFL Week 8 and take on the Cardinals. Let's go on to Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. That'll be a noon kickoff on Sunday. Looking forward to that for sure. But first, actually, let's talk to Randy. Uh, are you in full-on panic mode as, as a member, uh, as an owner, I guess I should say, of the Green Bay Packers? <laughs> I mean, I did I did some some rough quick Wikipedia math, but this uh, at this point in the season in my lifetime, this is the worst combined record of my two football teams, the Iowa Hawkeyes and the Green Bay Packers, and we're only two games below five hundred. Which mm-hmm. I mean, perspective wise, it's. I've I've been lucky to have some pretty good football teams. I don't know what the Packers. I get, I get. I didn't watch the second half. I was watching Formula One because it was just like not even worth watching. I mean, Rodgers. Everyone talks about some like something's wrong with Rodgers. Um, he's throwing behind the line of scrimmage at the highest rate in the league. I I believe. Um, getting no help on the offense line. The offense line wasn't healthy again <clears throat> this uh, this week. Um, the receivers drop open passes. He doesn't have a deep threat to take shots with, but he still wants to take shots, so he still throws the ball deep. Mm-hmm. And then play calling, we don't give the ball to Aaron Jones enough. I mean, Aaron Jones had, I think he had 10 touches this week, and like most of the, I think maybe half of those were, I think we had 15 touches, half of those were receptions. I think he had eight carries. If I yeah, saw which, that right, which doesn't make doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like on third and short situations, like we're passing the ball versus running the ball. I mean, we should be around first team. So I don't know if that starts with the floor. I don't know if Rogers is audibling based off of what he sees in the defense. Uh, but it is like 
I don't know if it's panic mode. Like if this was if this was happening last year, I'd say it's panic mode for for most Packer fans. I think most Packer fans are kind of just in fucking mode. Like and and also I think no Packers fan would be surprised if we go out and beat the Bills next week because football's a weird sport and I I'd say that our our probably our closest comp in the league right now is probably the Colts. Like their record doesn't say that they're good, but they can like they can beat the Chiefs, <laughs> right? Um, if they stick to kind of what they do best, and if if they're at if they're fully healthy, so um, I don't know. It's I I still think the playoffs are 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 in play, just given how bad the NFC is. The Carolina Panthers are only one game out of a playoff spot. Um, I mean, I think I think we I think this is a learning year, and if we make the playoffs and. That's all that kind of really matters at this point. I mean, the last time we won the Super Bowl, we we were a wild card team, so maybe we need to be a wild card team again. Yeah, and it's <clears throat> the, what the most consecutive losses for the pack since when? Twenty uh, since I think since Rogers, uh, the first time Rogers broke his collarbone, so like okay. twenty fourteen, fifteen, something like that, maybe. Um, most, uh, it, I mean. It was, this is the first time that Fleur's lost back-to-back games in the regular season, um, let alone three games in a row. So, I mean, I, I do think it's interesting, like, all like looking at all the freakout with the Packers versus the Buccaneers and how much blame is being put on Rodgers with the Packers and how with the Buccaneers it seems to be that Brady doesn't have enough support around him when that's, I think, the same issue for for the Packers right now. So there's not, not enough support behind Rodgers. I mean, you don't, you're not the back-to-back MVP and then just fall completely off a cliff in one year. I, that, that just doesn't, <clears throat> that just doesn't happen. I don't think it's an aging thing. It's a, it's a weapons thing. So, I mean, I, I bet we'll, we'll go after Odell whenever he's healthy again. But I mean, Packers fans saw it firsthand with Jordy Nelson that, uh, you know, wide receivers in their late 20s or is Odell 30 yet? Yeah, I think he's 30. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, so wide receivers in their 30 coming off an ACL tear uh do not uh aren't the same receiver that they were before. Um Packers fans know that well with Jordy Nelson. Um we have to make a move for a receiver in uh before the trade deadline. I think that's the only thing that keeps the the Packers hopes alive and then I and maybe an offense lineman as well. I mean, those are the two pieces that the Packers desperately need. I know. Yep. A couple things. One to get on the uh, age. He's 29, but he turns 30. Um, Odell does in about a week. Um, <clears throat> but the other thing, I, I think, yes, you're right about Rogers not having enough help around him. I would say, at least from my coverage on Twitter, just listening to podcasts, Brady and Rogers are getting about the same amount of blame. Um, just from what I've been hearing, at, at least I, I've heard a lot of negative stuff about Brady and a lot of negative stuff about Aaron Rodgers, and I think from the Rodgers perspective, from what I've seen, and I've only watched a couple of games, it's a completely different looking Rodgers in terms of his body language. I mean, he's always had body bad body language, in my opinion. He's always been a whiner and a complainer, and maybe for good reason at times. Um, but this Rodgers is just pouty. He's laying in the dirt, just staring at the ground after games, after losses. And he, he's complaining like he always was, but now there's nothing to back it up. It, it doesn't seem like his play to me, is on the same level that it always was. It seems like he's taking shots that he shouldn't be taking, and he's in, inaccurate at times 
too, even on the short passing where he was in, in the past just electric on those, just almost unstoppable on those short passing routes where this year I've seen him miss a number of throws and I'm like, wow, never seen Rodgers miss that one. And then he's, after he misses the throw, he looks at his left tackle or his right guard and he's complaining to them about something that they did wrong that caused him to make that mistake. And I think too with Rodgers, he is, he's playing quarterback so like, I mean, not even like like last year. He's almost thrown the ball like like he has Jordy Nelson and Greg Jennings and a young Devontae Adams and James Jones. Like, like it's almost like he feels like he can throw his way into making his receivers good. Um, like I think like when I kind of knew the game was toast was the Packers' first drive, where we have we put a good first drive together. This is our scripted drive. We're giving Aaron Jones a couple touches. Um, Mixing up the play calling well, and then we've got third and short, and we go over. Rodgers throws over the middle, like a little quick slant to Al Mazard, and it's one of those Aaron Rodgers passes where he puts it exactly where the ball needs to be between the linebackers, where only his guy can catch catch it, and it bounces off Lazard's hands. Mm-hmm. And I think Rodgers, like, like he's just so used to in his career of like he he can put the ball where it needs to go in those tight windows, and when his receivers aren't going to catch it, like he's not going to. Like I think Rodgers is probably a little, his ego is a little too big to not keep throwing those passes. Like he's going to keep throwing those passes until someone catches it. Um, so again, I don't know what sort of leap the receiver the receivers can take this year. I don't know what trades we've you know maybe gotten in store, but mm-hmm. I mean yeah. it's it is what it is. Yep, then that's plenty of Packer talk for this Vikings podcast. Um, <clears throat> BG, I got a little bit of self scout, if you will, on this bye week for us. Uh, I'm going to go through a couple of stats, and we'll, if you have any reactions to it, we'll chat mostly defensive. Um, one thing from Pro Football Focus, we'll start with that. The Minnesota offensive line is the fourth best run blocking unit in the NFL through six weeks, and they're the 18th best at pass blocking. The pressure rate through the first six weeks is actually slightly lower than it was last year. Um, 32% this year compared to a 34.6% pressure rate on, on dropbacks for Kirk Cousins. Um, defensively, uh, it's been a lot of two high safeties, 131 plays with two high safeties. That's third most in the NFL. Not a lot of man coverage, only man coverage on about 9.4% of defensive snaps. That's the second lowest rate in the NFL. They played cover six. Um, the most in the NFL. I don't have the number of snaps. It was like 68, um, 68 some plays in, in cover six, most in the NFL. They played 261 snaps with fewer than seven defenders in the box. Again, most in the NFL. Uh, they played 79.1% of snaps with five defensive backs on the field. That's third most in the NFL. And they've blitzed on 17% of dropbacks, which is actually sixth lowest in the NFL, sixth lowest uh blitz rate for the Minnesota Vikings. So, I mean, altogether, it's kind of what we've been talking about through those first six games. It's a lot of don't get beat over the top, keep everything in front of you, bend, don't break. And they've have, I should have put the number of turnovers. They're winning the turnover battle in essentially every game, um, which is good at getting timely turnovers, big time interceptions and strips um, from, from Peterson, from Smith last week as well, two weeks ago rather. Um, but they've been doing a lot of what we've been talking about, extra defensive backs on the field, low blitz rate. It's been somewhat productive at times. Uh, they have gotten the timely turnovers like I just mentioned, but they've given up a lot of yards and they've given up a lot of points. What's kind of your reaction, I guess, through 
six weeks on the defensive side of things. What do you like and what do you want to see more of? Yeah, I think just referencing the the PFF stats you just went off of, I think that we are almost trying to hide our secondary. I don't think we have the most talented secondary, but we have our defensive coordinator, Donatel, who's kind of trying to mask our younger, inexperienced guys like Dantzler. Um, Booth really hasn't played that much, but mm-hmm. like Cam Bynum as the starting safety. I think that we're not really cut out right now in our secondary to play man against these NFL wide receivers. Um, Patrick C- Patrick Peterson has been our best cornerback this year, but as we saw with that Christian Watson drop, mm-hmm. he is going to get taken the top off of him. Yep. Um, if he has a, a good speedy receiver, so I don't. I think that's why we can't go to man, especially with Harrison Smith. As great as he is, he's in his thirties. He's lost a step. Um, in NFL, it comes down to speed, and it comes down to just athletic athleticism. So I think that we're masking it with zone and. I think it's somewhat working for us. Mm-hmm. We we let up a lot of passing yards like we did against the the Dolphins now two weeks ago, almost 400 yards in the air to Teddy Bridgewater um, and Skylar Thompson. But at the end of the day, it's it's another game one, and we keep them out of the red zone, and we keep them out of the end zone, and, and that's the biggest thing that matters. So I think I, I hope that we improve each week with um, – just our overall defense and, and how our defensive secondary has been looking. I think that they're going to get a big test this upcoming weekend, not because the Arizona Cardinals are the best team in the league, but they're a team that does not have a great um, rushing attack, especially when they're behind in games, which has been happening mm-hmm. a lot. So they're going to air the ball out, especially now that DeAndre Hopkins is back. Um, and it's going to be a test to our guys, probably one of the best receivers we've played so far this year. Um, and, I hope that we can keep them out of the red zone and uh, not allow as many touchdowns, but but really just clamp down and not allow Kyler Murray to throw for over, over 300 yards, which I don't think he should do anyway. Um, so, I mean, I'm happy with where we're at. It's kind of the moral of the, the story for the Vikings this season. I'm happy where we're at with 5-1, and one, but there's definitely improvements that can be made. Um, but I think with a lot of things, we're kind of – middle of the road right now or maybe just a little bit above that middle of the road when it comes to stats wise just yeah. like the offensive line stats you were saying i mean i forget what you said you what you said we were for the rushing um fourth and rushing fourth 18th. and 18th and pass yeah. i mean I'll, I'll take that for sure that's really really good for vikings offensive line we've had some mm-hmm. horrible offensive lines pretty much every year um and to have somebody that's fourth and 18th i mean that's way over half if you put those together for um, when you compare it to the league. So it's, I think it's part of the reason why Kirk Cousins hasn't been getting sacked much this year. Christian mm-hmm. Jarosaw is playing out of his mind compared yep. to uh, last season, and he's healthy now. So I think it's a good combination, but I, I just hope that it improves. Now with an extra week on the bye week, hopefully we can look sharper and more as one as a unit. Yep. And I want to correct one thing. I did say they've been giving up a lot of points. They really haven't been. It's more the yards, the passing mm-hmm. yards, the rushing yards in some games, and even some quarterback scrambles uh, comes to mind. Justin Fields kind of ran all over us. Uh, he did a little bit of that to New England last night. But they haven't actually allowed that many points. I think they're third best um, in the NFL with points allowed at 118. They've scored 190, uh, 139, rather. Um, so a differential of plus 21, which isn't great, but again, they're 5-1. and one. They're winning in, in the margins, and that's what Kwesi Adolfo Mensa talked about 
in his introductory press conference in the offseason. That's what he wanted to do, win in the margins. And he, he's a, from a business background, a Stanford guy. We talked about that. Uh, and he's looking at it on paper. And that's what they're doing. They're winning on special teams. They're getting timely interceptions. Kirk Cousins is unreal in, in crunch time situations for the Vikings this year with game-winning drives and, and setting up game-winning field goals and go-ahead scores to ice games away. And, and you continue to do that the little things will, will start to sort themselves out. As far as the defense goes, um, Ed Donatel said a couple of weeks ago in a press conference after a Vikings win that it takes about a month uh, for teams and for specifically players on the defense to transfer over and sort of get the hang of that new 3-4 scheme defense they're playing. Remember, this was a 4-3 football team for the last 50 years, basically all Vikings existence, uh, at least that what we know of. It was a 4-3 football team. They're switching completely to a 3-4. A lot more defensive backs on the field. We talked about that, but it's going to take some time. Daniil Hunter with a better game against the Dolphins. Hopefully he has a big week trying to slow down Kyler Murray on the outside, but just keeping contain on the outside is going to be huge against Murray. And if the secondary can hold up and they keep playing that cover six and the cover two with two high safeties, I think they got a good chance to do that and just find a way to win each week because each week is different and that's what the NFL has really shown this year. And Andy, you mentioned about the Packers possibly beating the Bills. I wouldn't hate a money line Packers bet this week. Uh, I don't think they're going to win, but you never know. That's Maybe how a little half unit sprinkle. Yeah, that's how the that's how the NFL has been a league of parity, and it's especially been that way this season. Um, but Vikings four in a row with Kyler coming to town uh, this week. The Cardinals have traveled to Minnesota for ten games in the last thirty-one years. They're zero ten in such games hopefully that continues this weekend minnesota opens as a three and a half point favorite at home against the cardinals we'll hit that game in pick segment at the end of the show but let's move into go for football it was a tough one bg uh at penn state at the whiteout uh it was a thon kellyak manis getting the start as the red shirt freshman quarterback first start since his junior year of high school all the way back in 2019 so he sat out his senior year with an injury he was redshirted last year for the Gophers it was his first start in that environment in front of 110,000 in prime time and he didn't look spectacular but I didn't think he looked too bad for the situation BG it was a 45-17 loss I thought it was a closer game than that at least in the first half in the early parts of the second half it was a one score game for a while uh the gophers scored before the end of half to make it 17 10. Uh, they got the ball coming out of the half marched down the field and michael brown stevens gets what i thought was a for sure no-brainer call you especially would get that at home but on the road in that environment refs don't throw the flag so there was no defensive pass interference Kelly Ackmanis throws the interception, and then Penn State marches down the field thanks to uh, a third down defensive pass interference on an uncatchable ball. It wasn't probably going to change the outcome of the game, but that's what really opened things wide open in, in the third quarter there. Um, Sean Clifford, he had a good day uh, for Penn State, but what really, at least in the first half, was the story of the game, BG, was the five false start penalties. Um, all of those, due to crowd noise, they opened the first play of the first drive with a false start before they can even get the, the first playoff the crowd going crazy that just makes them go even crazier and it was kind of all downhill for there the one good thing coming out of this one was mo getting his 15th straight 100 yard game he tied Zeke elliott for the most 100 yard games in a row and he's the only active um 
active college football player with that streak right now. So hopefully one more next week against Rutgers. He's got the record, but you didn't get to catch the game on Friday, on Saturday. Yeah, I didn't watch any of the game. I just saw the box score, and it looked a lot worse, I guess, with the final score, 45-17, to 17, than I guess actually what the game and the game flow of the game was. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see what P.J. Fleck does this upcoming week against Rutgers with the quarterback situation, mm-hmm. if he's going to go back to Tanner Morgan um, or if he's going to go stay with the redshirt freshman Athan. Um I think I'm in boat a thon at Tanner Morgan's sixth year. And, you know, three losses. Obviously, he didn't play this last game, but three losses in a row. It's it's not like we're going to have him back next year. At least I hope not. Um, no. He, I'm sure he'll find a way if he could. <laughs> he'll probably be a coach, if anything. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping that a thon straps up, and, and then this is our new go-to guy. Yep. Our new foundation for the, the Gophers football team. But just looking at the box score, I think something to be – I guess somewhat optimistic about is Athan went nine for 22, which isn't all that great completion wise. But as you said, he hasn't started since 2019. It's probably the toughest draw you can get first game in at Happy mm-hmm. Valley, the whiteout game in front of 109,000 people. It's, it's pretty crazy. But those nine passes went for 175 yards and he ran seven times for 45 yards. Mm-hmm. And if you remember the week before against Illinois, Tanner Morgan completed four passes for 21 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's been our weakness, that we play against a good defense and they just key down on our rush offense, um, where it, it was great. Mo still went over 100, had 30 carries for 102 yards, but they'll put nine in that box, however many they put in there to, to stop the run. And when it's third and eight, third and seven, and we have Tanner Morgan throwing the ball, it's just it should be a really confident feeling for us since he's a, an old quarterback, but he can't throw the ball downfield. I don't know if that's the, the play calling, which I don't think it would be with our OC back from when he had that great year with Bateman and Tyler Johnson. But um, it's hopeful to have a young guy who's aggressive on offense, who's capable of running the ball, first of all, which Tanner Morgan is not, and capable of, capable of throwing the ball downfield. And I know we've said he's a gunslinger before, and, I mean, he showed that nine passes for 175 yards. That, that's a crazy average, so... Um, I hope going forward he continues to play and starts for us, which I'd be surprised if he does. I think Fleck would go back to Tanner Morgan. Yep. Um, but just to have a Gophers team with a balanced passing and rushing offensive attack, which it hasn't really felt like so far this year. Yeah. And we've, we've gotten away with it in the past, but now three losses in a row playing some good teams. I think we got to be a great team on the ground and at least a somewhat good team um, through the year. Yeah, and it was uh, is it Dalen Dalen right? Is that how you say the corner uh, receiver? One of the receivers. Uh, I think it, I don't know if it's Dylan Wright or Dalen Wright. I, I know there's two Dylans, but uh, one of the receivers did. Uh, I, I don't know. It was a late scratch for for unannounced reasons. But one of their top receivers, if it's Dalen or Dylan, but he wasn't in attendance of the game. And then obviously you're missing um, uh, Chris Autumn Bell just blanked on his name for a second there but the receiving core it was hurting and they were not making any plays they weren't really getting open for for Kiliak Manis and it was just a tough environment there uh for for the freshman to get things going it was exciting to see him get that touchdown at the end of the first half to to make it a ball game it was 17-3 Gophers drive down and score right before the end of the half 
and it's looking like we have a chance. We have a chance to make some plays. The defense was playing really good to start the game. I think they forced three, three and outs to start the football game. Justin Wally had a big interception. He ran it all the way back inside the 20, and the, the Gophers offense just stalls out there. And part of that is going to have to be placed on Kirk Sharaka and P.J. Fleck as well. But the offensive play calling, especially in that first half when it was still a ball game, was just so conservative. I mean, there was a number of draws on third and like 12 to 15, even like a third and 18. I think we had like a, uh, a delayed handoff. And it was just, they were so scared to put the freshman in any sort of position to throw an interception or to make a mistake in the beginning of that game when it was still close that it really just didn't give us a fighting chance to even have, it, have a fighting chance. Um, but the Gophers are going to have to figure out a way to respond. The schedule does get easier. They host Rutgers. Um, they're going to be big-time favorites in that one. I think it's uh, like 11 or something like that. Oh, it might not be quite that Rutgers much. Rutgers is pretty bad. Rutgers is pretty bad. They should they should take care of them. That's a 130 kick at Huntington Bank Stadium on Saturday. Let's flip over. I guess I got one other note about Sean Clifford, and maybe this is a little bit of a comparison to Tanner Morgan as well. They're both kind of in the same boat. Six-year guys, they've had some ups, they've had some downs, but Sean Clifford in the introduction um, of that game when he was announced as a starting quarterback, the home crowd booed pretty loudly. <laughs> Uh, as many of them were there before the game, uh, as the White House just incredibly popular. But the students loudly booed the starting quarterback, Clifford, who ended up going 23 of 31 for 235 and four touchdowns. Uh, but a pretty big performance from, from Clifford there. Maybe we'll see something like that out of Tanner Morgan next week if he does end up starting uh, for the Gophers. Randy, you got any uh, college football? You guys got spanked by Iowa, Ohio State. It was can, a ball game for a while there. I, I have a question for you, too. About 30 can, minutes. Can a defense give up 54 points, but at the same time play a great defensive game? Maybe their best of the season. Uh, they, I'm going to say, <coughs> I don't know if this is a trick question. Like, if there's pick sixes or anything that make it not 54 on the defense. There's one. But I'd say yes. That you can't. That can't be so, a true statement. So I would say the past two years, most explosive offense in the country, for sure a top defense, Top offense with C.J. Stroud in the country the past two mm-hmm. years. Ohio State had 16 drives against Iowa. Three of them went for f- over 40 yards. Three of them, and they scored 54 points. Mm-hmm. Eight of but you got to remember a eight, couple of those because they got eight, short fields. Eight of their 16 drives were 20 yards or less. They scored 16 points on those drives. In the first half, Ohio State started with the ball in Iowa territory five times. They scored one touchdown and were held to four field goals, with the four field goals being three and outs and the touchdown being they, they started with first and goal. Like Iowa's defense basically played out of their minds until uh, Alex Bediak came in in his first snap of the second half. He fumbled, and then hit, when we got the ball back, uh, he threw an interception immediately, and the defense was like, screw this. Like, we can't do this anymore. Our offense is the worst, and it's on pace to be the worst in the modern college football era. With Brian Fearance as our offensive coordinator, since 2017, we've never finished better than 105th in offense. We've had a national championship-level defense the past couple of years. National championship-level defense that only needs an average offense to be able to be in the college football playoff hunt year after year. And if Brian Ferentz is not fired at the end of this year, there is going to be a revolt among Iowa football fans. And I think too, like if you are 
if 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 Iowa fires Brian Ferentz this year and goes the Brett Bielema route, so Brett Bielema last year ran his classic Wisconsin style uh, offense, you know, trying to run the ball, um, you know, maybe only throwing the ball 15, 20 times a game, didn't do well. Fired his offensive coordinator, brought in, I, I forget the name of their new OC, uh, but they're doing a ton more RPOs. They're still run first, but it's maybe more like kind of what, what Minnesota's doing too with how, I mean, they were a run-first team. They played Big Ten-style football, but then they um, their offense is creative enough to um, to throw the ball and to beat you through the air. And I think if Iowa signs an offensive coordinator, a flashy young offensive coordinator, which I think that this job will be attractive because a new offensive coordinator knows that your defense is national championship worthy, that Iowa can go in the transfer portal and find a good quarterback. And again, say... You know, offense is brand new. We want to open things up, and your defense is going to be rock solid. I mean, this this can be a great opportunity for you. So I think Iowa has I – mean, Iowa fans are – I'm way more pissed about Iowa football this year than I am about Packers football. Way more pissed because we are wasting – this is three years in a row now where we're just wasting a out-of-this-world defense on just complete shit offense and and – Fearance isn't going to make the change mid-season. Um, the change has to come at the end of the season. All right, that's it. That's my old football <laughs> segment. So, yep. <clears throat> yeah, and I don't really know how much a change will even help. Padilla is terrible. Petros is terrible. That first interception on the first offensive play for Iowa was one of the ugliest interceptions I've ever oh seen my in my entire life. So bad. He could not have thrown it more to the any. I, I have never seen somebody just completely like black out and throw it right at a linebacker. <laughs> And he, it, it was like, and then there was another one later on that was almost as bad, where just like there's a guy the, standing between him and the guy he wants to throw to, and he literally throws it right, a perfect ball right to the defender. I mean, two different times. Um, what's his name? The um, Charlie Jones, who's the uh, number one receiver for Purdue. He has um, almost twice as many yards alone for Purdue this year than the Iowa than the Iowa receiving room. And he has nine touchdowns. The Iowa receivers have one touchdown. Charlie Jones was an Iowa Hawkeye last year. Mm. He transferred, got that's the right. hell out. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, like that's why I think like you fire Brian Ference, you bring in a hot shot offensive coordinator, overspend even. I mean, Iowa has the money to overpay for for an OC. And I mean, I think I think you can turn this around real quick. But it starts it starts with Brian Ference. Um, I mean, I, I I I'm in the minority who think that. When he got the job in 2017, I mean, he was a tight ends coach with Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski for the Patriots, kind of came up coaching through the, in the Patriots' Bill Belichick system, uh, was offensive line coach at Iowa for a couple years, had great offensive lines year in and year out. I, mean, I don't think he didn't deserve the job when he got it, but he's shown he's complete and utter horseshit, and he needs to go. Bye-bye, Brian. Well, there you go. I hope your season continues the way it's headed. Uh, which is to the dumpster. But I hope that the uh, the Gophers can really beat Iowa and can beat Wisconsin. That'll avenge all the bad feelings I have about Minnesota right now. <laughs> let's uh, let's switch gears here, go over to another team that's struggling. It's the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, two and two now on the young season, BG. Wolves play tomorrow night, Wednesday night, at, uh, no, rather at home against the Spurs, and they head to San Antonio for a Sunday game. Kind of a weird series yeah, playing one four. team three times in a week. Um, but they lost their second game of the season a couple of nights ago against a pretty below-average team, the Spurs. It was a 115-106 loss. They were down by as many as 36 in the fourth quarter. 
it, the box score looks a little more respectable at the end of it when it's only a nine-point loss. But your reaction to the shaky start for the T-Wolves? Yeah, I was unfortunately, I watched that whole game um, the other night against the Spurs, who might be the worst team in the NBA. I know Popovich has made a comment that this is not a good team. He pretty much says that straight up. Um, but I think much like the Vikings, we just have to kind of, and we don't really have to do it with the Vikings because we're 5-1, and one, but take a deep breath and remember that this is our fourth game, our actual fifth game with Towns and Gobert playing together, one in the preseason. So it's going to be ugly. If you didn't think it's going to be ugly, then you should have thought that. Um, <laughs> but it's, I don't think it's time to panic. We have looked really bad this year, and we're 2-2. Two and two. We shouldn't be 2-2, two and two, I know that. We have to figure out our defense. We've let so many open shots, and the first seven games of the season, first seven games of the season, has got to be the easiest seven games for any team to start the year. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that we act um, like we've got these these players that are going to take us to a deep playoff run. And after getting down 36 points against the Spurs and losing by 10 points or 11 points at home to the Spurs, we bounce back and get a chance to play them right back-to-back, which is huge for us, um, and absolutely dominate them like we should. Because on paper, the the Wolves roster, the Spurs roster, it is, again, like a varsity versus JV team. And we've just got to play together as a team, which is, I think, one of the biggest issues we have. And I hope that time will do that. But um, another quick thought is, one thing that I think we're going to have to do as uh, a franchise in order to, to have a successful team in a deep, deep playoff run is that Chris Finch has to take accountability for some of the egos that we have on this team, like Towns, um, the whining, the complaining, the not rushing back on defense when you don't get your call. It's Chris Finch, he, you can see him. He's physically frustrated on the sideline but he doesn't take Towns out after he does that stuff. Mm-hmm. And Towns is our so-called leader on the team where when it gets tough, and we saw it in the playoffs when you're not getting your calls, when they're double-teaming you, he just crumbles. And if we're going to be successful, since we don't have really a veteran guy on our team, I guess you could call Rudy our veteran guy, but we don't have a leader. Like we did with Patrick Beverly last year, who's going to corral the troops. It's looking a lot at Towns to be that guy, and that is a scary thought for me. So. Those are my initial thoughts. I, I will say, I was at the game yesterday, and it was just a terrible game to be at. Um, but um, not this is not this has anything to do with my uh, with my analysis. I guess, I guess it a little bit does. But I think first off, not that it's an excuse for yesterday, but I think like over the past however many years, the the winning percentage for NBA teams, all NBA teams. On the back end of a back of a of a back to back where you travel overnight is like twenty five percent, and again that's that's not an excuse to lose and be down by thirty five in in the fourth quarter to the Spurs. Uh, but I think it is good to kind of get because I think we have a couple more back to backs uh, where we travel overnight throughout the year, so it's kind of good to get kicked in the mouth. I think a little bit early, um, but I think like Cat well, has been a liability on offense and defense. This year, I think offense they'll work it out with kind of some of the. They have so many options with with their lineup and, and the five guys that they have out, and and the, and you can tell that they're trying out a whole lot of different combinations. Uh, but defensively, he's just been exposed all four games. I mean, teams like the Spurs, the Spurs last night, they used ball movement so well to get Cat 
just scrambling and get, getting lost on the floor and then finding the open guy, uh, usually for a three, but then sometimes down low, drawing a foul, getting an easy bucket. Like Cat has to, Cat has to figure his his shit out. I don't know if it's he just needs to put on that weight again. I think he's down to like two thirty five mm-hmm. when he should be around two fifty. Yeah, weighs more than him. Yeah, and and then Ant too is 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 the other piece where they just haven't been able to get him going offensively. They couldn't get him going last night. He said it, I think, uh, after the loss to the Jazz, um, that with when he's on the court with Gobert and Gobert and Towns, he feels a little lost. I mean, like in and, and, and when they went small last night where um, I think like the most interesting lineup is they had uh, TP and Nas Reed as as their bigs and then Ant out there with uh, McDaniels and Noel, which I think could be a pretty fun five to have out on the court for the Wolves this year. But it was, you know, Jalen Noel, who's played great this year for coming off the bench. Um, But they just haven't gotten Ant involved like he should. I mean, he might be, he's definitely a top three finisher in in the NBA. It is so cool watching all the different ways he gets to the bucket and finishes. Um, I think it's just going to take time to figure out kind of what, um, you know, how this offense kind of gels together and what pieces they have. I think once they figure it out, they'll be able to go toe-to-toe with, you know, whether it's a big lineup, um, you know, whether it's a big lineup like like the Sixers or if it's a, you know, smaller lineup like the Warriors, I think they'll be able to compete to just mm-hmm. kind of figure it out um, what they're doing, but they just seem lost so often. And then when the shots aren't falling, like nothing you know, yeah. no good comes out of that. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, like I said, it's so early on in the season and Towns has lost a lot of weight in the season because he's been sick, um, which has allowed him not to play with Gobert during the off season, which is the time you're going to get these guys to play together and jail to be, together because with the NBA schedule, you're playing back-to-back games or you have one night off most of the time before your next game. Not a lot is going to get done before that. It comes from the preseason and the off season and then actually in-game play. So, Again, I'm just trying to echo it out. It's four games in. We should absolutely beat the Spurs this next time. If we lose to them, I wouldn't 100% be surprised because <laughs> it's going to take time. Um, and I don't want to sound like I'm contradicting myself, but it's really going to take time. And I don't think Finch has totally figured out what's the best approach to getting these guys on the same level offensively and defensively. It, like Ant had nine points the yeah. last game, like you said. He had back-to-back 30-point games, the, the two prior games. So... We don't have to worry about not having enough talent. We're going to score the ball either way. It's just coming up with two or three packages versus the the Wizards that's going to work or the Hornets that's going to work. And playing against the Spurs, that one coach who's going to exploit what he's seen so far is Greg Popovich, and he exactly did that against us. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, I agree, Andy. I think it's good to have our, you know, get our ass beat one game and and learn from that and not just to slide by these – two point, four point wins when we're playing bad because I don't think our young guys on our team learn from that. Getting booed at home and Ant talked about that. Mm-hmm. He said he wanted mm-hmm. to say something, but he doesn't blame the crowd for booing them. It's yeah. he looked at it and said, We gotta do better. That's I think that's good for our young team and early on in the season. And and I think like offensively, like there's there's pieces that the Wolves have started to figure out. Like Gobert and Delo have been really fun to watch with some of the things they're doing with Gobert setting that high high pick and roll, and then what Delo's kind of been doing with the ball creatively. They've done that with Ant a couple times. Ant just isn't as dynamic a passer. He's had quite a mm-hmm. few, he had quite a few turnovers last night coming off the pick and roll. Um, but I think, like, 
there's it's not like there's no hope at all. I mean, they're they're going to figure this out. They're going to figure out, you know, what five they need on the court. Uh, I mean, they've played great first quarters uh, throughout the whole year, pretty much except for last night. I think they're the highest scoring differential through through the first three games of any teams in the NBA. They're scoring like 38 points uh, on average the first three first quarters, and that's when you have your starting five out there most of the time, which is which is a good sign. I you equate it a little bit almost to like uh, that first drive in a you know in a football game. You know, that's that's the drive that you've planned the whole week, and then after that, you know, it's all coaching. So. Um, I mean, I think the Wolves will recover, like you said. Our our first seven games are we play the Spurs a couple times. I think we play Lakers. Uh, we play Lakers. I think we play the Rockets, and then there's maybe we play the Rockets twice in there. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a fun team because when this team is clicking, they are they are they are so fun to watch. They can mm-hmm. score points so quickly. Yeah, and we'll see. I, I think you guys are both right about don't panic. It's only four games. Uh, something that is disturbing is Carl Anthony Towns in his post-game presser yesterday um, talking about Anthony Edwards and his struggles immensely in the second game of back-to-back. So let's listen to Carl here. Can you help him? Ant was just telling us that he puts a lot of this on him and he's got to be better in back-to-backs that he has not done that so far. Can you help him through that or just is that a young player trying to figure out what to do in this league and how to how to answer the bell two nights in a row. I mean, like I, you know, I, I, maybe I could do a better job of teaching him how to take care of his body, you know, diet and everything. So that'll be on me. Um, I know y'all think it's funny up here when he talks about Popeyes and all that shit. You know, that that doesn't that doesn't make me happy to hear, you know, we're high-level athletes. So, um I mean, that, it's one thing if it's Pat Bev saying that from last year or even like Jared Vanderbilt, who's a younger guy who wouldn't say that. But it's another thing if it's your lazy-ass big man who's known as the big meow, who's known as a... a Kitty cat. A, a, yeah, a big, soft center. I mean, they make fun of him all the time on TNT for how soft he is. He's incredibly lazy on defense. He does that stupid three-point shot where he kicks his lane out, leg out, doesn't get the call, or gets an offensive foul call, and then pouts his way back down the floor while they go get an easy basket. And he's even done that this year, a bunch. And then you go to the media after doing that, after losing to the Spurs, and you blame it on yourself, but you're also blaming it on the way Anthony Edwards eats. And you're blaming it on yourself for not watching what this youngster is eating. And Edwards is, what, 21? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably going to catch up with him, but it's not catching up with him right now. And I guarantee you that's not the reason why he's playing bad on, on the second night of a back-to-back. What, what's more, I think, harmful to Edwards is watching how you handle yourself, Carl Anthony Towns, watching how you play basketball and, and the lack of energy at times and just the lack of competitiveness from Carl. I, it, it's insane to me that he wouldn't that he would go after a loss into the press conference and then say that about him. That, that, that is ridiculous. And that is, again, we don't have to panic. It's only four games. But that right there is, I think, something, a small little seed that could grow into a huge problem. Yeah, I think, like, the most frustrating thing for me with Towns is he's a seven-footer who plays like he's 5'11". Like, when he gets the ball down, though, he's just so, like, Yes, he's soft, but he the amount of offensive offensive fouls he causes by lowering his shoulder down on guys that are that are undersized, where he's got a mismatch, 
he loves to get the ball at the elbow and then isn't quick enough um, to get to the rim before the double team comes. And then he's just standing there waving the ball above his head. I think the hope, my hope is like watching Gobert work down low is awesome. I mean, he is way bigger than Cat is and how quick he is, how light on his feet he is. I hopefully Gobert or some of that can rub off on, on Cat because um, I think he has to improve his his play down low to complement kind of his the score that he can be on the perimeter um, because like it seems like teams are kind of just letting him make his own mistakes like they're happy to you know if 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 you're forcing the wolves to get the ball to cat down low or or even on the perimeter all game and you force Carl Anthony Towns to beat you. I think most teams are happy with taking that challenge on versus <clears throat> any other of the studs that the uh, the Wolves have. Yeah, so about Cat's comment, I think you're totally right, Beal, that Cat is not the guy who can make that comment. No. Um, no. If you're teaching a youth basketball team and you're trying to teach guys what not to do, you literally just let them watch the Timberwolves and watch Carl Anthony Towns specifically because he has so many bad lessons that he teaches you physically and above all else mentally. Um and it's a comment that if he really wants to make that comment, what good does that do saying that to the media? Why don't you just, if you want to be that leader on the team, which you desperately do, as it sounds like, because yeah. he's putting this on himself like the big man he is, then you go and talk to, ta- or talk to Ant and say, hey, like, let me talk to you about your diet. And I know it might sound weird coming for me because I lost 20 pounds in the offseason and I can't put on weight. Let me show you how a diet should be done. So that doesn't even make sense in the first place. And I could see... It'd, it'd be an awesome comment if this is LeBron James or even it doesn't have to be the best player in the league, but say like Udonis Haslam, the guy from the Miami Heat who is in his mid to probably even late 30s now um, and doesn't sniff the court, but he's just a leader on that team. To have somebody come out and, and say that to Ant publicly, I'm totally fine with. But Towns just, it just totally summarizes who he is. I'm not surprised by the comment at all. Um it sh- totally shows his character, which is lack of awareness. Mm-hmm. And you see that on the court, like Andy said, when he, you know, before anybody knows, before Towns even knows that he's going to go down the court, put his head down, take three very large steps and just dip his shoulder into somebody or give him the elbow and get charged with an offensive foul. Or when it's him getting charged for a different offensive foul or fouling somebody on defense and he is complaining to the refs and I don't know how, but every single time he's in disbelief with the call, Mm -hmm. that's just lack of awareness. And, I mean, it shows that not only is that on the court, but it translates directly to off the court where you think that's going to be a good team-building comment and you're the guy on the team that should be making that comment. It's just, again, like what I was saying before, the Wolves are going to have trouble, I think, this season if – Towns is that leader for us, and he doesn't change, which I think right now in his career and where he's at, there's no reason to believe why that would change with him from what we've seen. Yeah. Two plays this week, two plays this weekend that really stood out to me with Cat. Um, one, <clears throat> there was, I forget which game this was, but he had called for an offensive foul um, that was like a classic Cat charge where it's like a guard on him, and you just kind of lowers his shoulder a little bit and, and barrels. It looked like live that he barreled through him. And, and I'm watching at home and I'm pissed. I'm like, come on, what, what the hell, Cat? And then they show this, they challenge it, they slow to slow motion, motion replay, and it was um, and it was a flop. And mm-hmm. I think anyone else on the Wolves has that same play. Even if it's Gobert, you probably are 
pissed at the call. Like in, like as a fan, you're pissed at the call. You you know you want you want Finch to challenge it, but when it's Cat, you're you automatically just assume that it's it's it was on him. You know, it's Cat being Cat. Um, the other play was <clears throat> um, again. I forget which game this was. Cat um, drives in, takes a, a, a contested, um, a contested shot, uh, kind of below the uh, below the hoop, uh, misses it, thinks he gets fouled, and immediately starts whining. Meanwhile, Gobert grabs the rebound, puts it up, gets fouled for the and one. And while the t- while his teammates are celebrating with Gobert. Cat is still complaining to the ref about his non-foul call, mm-hmm. and it's like, <clears throat> well, dude, think- like, what, do you, what, what are you doing? Like, like, yeah, you missed a shot, but you're, you know, Gobert got the rebound, put it in, now he's going to line. Like, just cut it out for a second. Yeah, and your two points <clears throat> go together perfectly because the reason why they call that on Carl, and it was, I think it was the Friday night game that you're alluding mm-hmm. to. It was reverse. It was in overtime too, so Cat got mm-hmm. to stay in the game. It was a big reversal. Uh, but the reason why they call that on Cat and the reason why all the Timberwolves fans are mad when they see that play, it's the boy who cried wolf. If everything is somebody else's fault, if everything wasn't a foul on you and it was always a foul on the other team, then yeah, of course, when it actually isn't your fault, everyone's going to assume it was your fault because that's what you do. And when, and that's, I mean, I think you, your second example was a perfect example of why they called that on him in, in live time because he has that reputation. He, he, something doesn't go his way. He gets angry. Next time down the court, he runs somebody over. And I was reading the John Krasinski article about the Wolves today in, in that matchup with San Antonio uh, on Sunday night, or was it Sunday afternoon? Cat uh, got switched on to uh, Trey Jones two different times in the post and failed to score on either of them. I mean, that is ridiculous. How, that was, how tall that, that is was Trey? Last night. That was last night. How tall is Trey Jones? Like 6'3"? Six, six, yeah. And, and we both said at the same time, so it's true. Don't yep. look that up. There you go. <laughs> that, that's ridiculous. And for Cat to go out to the media after that, that loss, I guess, on Monday night, uh, I mean, that, that that's a cause for concern for me for sure. And... I don't know if I obviously don't think Chris Finch is on the hot seat. We just re-signed him to a new deal, but if this continues, it's definitely seat warmer coming on. And if it gets really bad halfway through the season, could they let him go? I could possibly see that happening because he seems to have absolutely no control over Carl Anthony Towns. And one quick thing, I don't know if you guys saw Towns' tweet the other day. Might have been Monday. It's either today, Tuesday, or yesterday, Monday. But it pretty much was saying like. We're good. We don't listen to the outside noise. And again, it just shows Towns' lack of awareness. Towns, you do need to listen to the outside noise because everybody here is telling you what you need to change, but you're all in your head, nope, I'm good. Uh, What I'm doing is right, and we just got to get back to winning the game. Where if you just take a breath, take a step back, and think, okay, if we want to be a real successful team, it's not about myself. I'm going to have to put my ego aside. And somebody like Gobert, who is a lot more experienced than I am, who's a much harder worker than I am and is not going to complain. It would be a great leader for us. There's going to have to be some hard conversations between guys with huge egos, and you know how NBA All-Stars are with their egos. Mm-hmm. It's, I think that's, again, four games, but that's the biggest thing in our way right now, our All-Stars ego, not how we're, not who we're putting in these lineups together. The, this tweet is fantastic. The top couple of replies are all the uh, the meme of the guy dressed at the hot dog <laughs> with the caption. We're all trying to find the guy who did this, but all all the replies to this cat tweet are just 
absolutely wonderful. Just people <laughs> laying on them, all 300 replies. Shout out to Wolves Nation. There's some Grizzlies fans in here saying like, man, I feel sorry for you guys. You guys could have beat us if it wasn't for Cat last year in the playoffs. I <laughs> Seriously. mean, the lover of troll is, is awesome. Everybody knows that, but Towns. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the state of the Wolves right now. Let's go to another struggling team. This will be quick. We don't have Zach with us tonight, but the Wild uh, struggle to start their season. They're through five games. They're one, three, and one uh, with an overtime loss on Saturday to the Bruins. Uh, but the goaltending we talked about a little bit last week with Zach has been brutal. Mark Andre Fleury has given up 18 goals in his first four starts. Uh, he's been better in his last two. They got three points with the overtime loss and a win the night before or a couple nights before. Uh, three points out of the last two, but 11 goals against in the first four periods. For Mark Andre Flory, the Hall of Fame goaltender, for us, not not a good start, and some of that obviously on the defense as well. Um, the Wild have blocked 12.86 shots per 60 minutes, which is 26th in the NHL. I believe there's 30 teams in the NHL. I could be wrong about that, but that's pretty bad, and that kind of alludes to the defensive issues that have been causing the number of goals that that teams have been scoring on us. Um, it's an average of 5.25 goals against when Andre Fleury's in the net, and that's not going to win you a lot of hockey games, especially not going to get you back to a franchise record-setting points, which we did last season. Uh, but the Wild struggling as well, and again, it's not—it's—it's it's too early to say Everson's on the hot seat. But if things continue like this for the Wild, there's no—there's no coach that's safe uh, when you got this much talent on one hockey team uh, and you're losing games and you're struggling to even stay in games. But the Wild won 3-1 and one on the early season. Let's head into pick segment and wrap this show up, boys. Um, going back to last week, big week for BG. He was 5-0, and and he vaults himself into first place with a record of 15-8. and Randy was 12-8 and going into the week. You were 3-2 and this week, Randy. You're now 15-10, and firmly in second place. I hit my triple down of the week with the Chiefs blowing out the 49ers to get back to 12 and 15, just a couple under 500. And Zach um, with a four, uh, let's see, five and two with his triple down hitting as well. A five and two week for Zach puts him at seven and 10 on the season. So BG out to the lead with 15 and eight. Uh, let's get into the games this week. We'll start with the Thursday night game. It's the Ravens at the Buccaneers. Baltimore opens as one and a half point favorites on the road. BG, who do you like down in Tampa? I'll go with Baltimore. I think they win it by at least a field goal. Yep. Randarius. I like the Ravens as well. All righty here. Let me just catch up on, on that. Uh, I like the Ravens too. Tampa is in some real trouble right now. And I don't see them getting out of that anytime soon. Uh, we'll have to get picks from Zach uh, via text or something. But let's go to our next game. It is the Cardinals at the Vikings. Kickoff scheduled for noon on Sunday. Vikings three and a half point favorites. BG? I'll go Vikings here. Um, I almost feel a little disrespected by the line. Mm-hmm. I know some say that three points at home is still a thing, but... So if you do that, it's, we're minus .5 favorites, 5-1 and one, against the Cardinals team, who has not looked good. Um, we haven't looked great, obviously, but at home, a little disrespected, I'll take the spread. This is one of those lines that if I was putting money on it, I'd, I'd stay away. That on, You see this line, you think, no, the, like you said, the, the, the Wolves are, not the Wolves, the, 
Vikings are much better than a three and a half point favorite against this Cardinals team. So because it is a funky line, I will take the Cardinals and the three and a half points to cover. There you go. Randy's zigging while we're zagging. I got the Vikes. I think they win by, I don't have a triple down, but I think they win by 10. Uh, All right. Next game. It's the 49ers at the Rams. 49ers now with McCaffrey. Obviously played last week too, uh, but McCaffrey with a week under his belt and San Francisco opens as a one-and-a-half-point favorite on the road, BG? I'll go Rams. Um, it's in L.A., you said, mm-hmm. which isn't much of a home advantage, especially with San Fran in the state. But they get Van Jefferson back, um, I believe, which should be big for them. I know they've kind of struggled without that good second receiver. Um, so I, I think the Rams kind of rebound and win their first big game of the year. I like the Niners here. I think they're uh, sneaky, sneaky good. I like the Niners too. They, I said it last week, but they like to muck it up. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to muck it up in this one. And uh, with a full week of C-Mac um, with that team, I think that could be a very dangerous combination. Um, let's move on. It's the Sunday night game. It's the Packers at the Bills. First time the Packers have been double-digit underdogs since like before – Brett Favre, I think, or at the early stages of Brett Favre. I think, again, I think one of those games where those seasons were Rodgers. No, I don't. Oh, I really? heard on the radio it was like 20-something. It was like since 1980-something was the last wow. time they were double-digit, and that was from Dave Sinek, and I'll have to double-check, but it's some sometime in the 80s when the Packers <clears throat> were last double-digit underdogs. That's a whole lot of points. I'm, uh, I'll go with Bills. That's Randy. where you go first. I just heard Packers and started talking. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll go with uh, I'll go with the Packers here. Like I said, it's, football's weird. Football's weird. The Packers have looked terrible. They played terrible against these bad teams, and I think I kind of like Randy's logic. I, <laughs> I I know they've played really bad against bad teams, but I think they're gonna somehow keep it a close game. I think it'll be somewhat low scoring, but I like the Packers to cover. All right, let's go to our. College game of the week. Penn State in there again this week, but it's Ohio State at Penn State. Ohio State getting, uh, rather Penn State getting 15 and a half at home. It's going to be, I think, a, a, an afternoon game. I would imagine it's like a one o'clock kick. Um, I think it's big noon. Is it? I think it's a big, big noon game, so I think it's 11. Well, number two, Ohio State versus whatever Penn State's ranked now. Uh, I don't know, but they were 16 going into last week. BG, who do you like? That's a lot of points, especially... 15 is a lot different than 14, but I still think I'm going to go with the Buckeyes. I think their offense is just too good, and their overall team is really good, and Penn State is probably a worse team than whatever they'll be ranked. Yeah, I'll go with uh, I'll go with the Buckeyes. I'm going to go with Penn State. They look pretty dang good, and I, I think the Gophers um, are better than people are giving them credit for. I think they've played three decent teams in a row, and they've, they're pretty banged up themselves, and, and Sean Clifford was...
Children.